Hey everyone, welcome to the Coastal Podcast. I'm Pastor Lucas Granger and want to say thank you for listening in. May this podcast bring some light to your world today. Enjoy grace and peace. Good. All right, book of Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, you've heard it for the last few weeks. You're going to hear it for a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's writing this letter to this church. And beginning in verse 10, it says this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The battle is not the battle you think it is. Therefore, do this. Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in times of evil. And then after the battle, you will still be standing firm, Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers. Who for? For all believers everywhere. Now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul again to this church. Therefore I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life that is worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. It wasn't no telemarketer, y'all. It wasn't a neighbor down the street. It wasn't just a good thought when you were hanging out one day. You were called by God. Always be humble. Yeah. Like sometimes, sometimes. No, always be humble and gentle and be patient with each other. Come on, that's, ooh, we could just period, walk out, and repent right now. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults. Come on, is there some grace in the house this morning? Making allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there's one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. I can't get emotional already. I got to hold that in. Man, just, just the power of that. One body, one spirit, one glorious hope. One, this one. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, here's the thing. Uh, Ephesians. First we read chapter 6, then we read chapter 4. Uh, when Paul wrote this letter, um, there's a few things going on. First of all, when he says, I, Paul, a prisoner for the gospel, this isn't a metaphor. He's literally a prisoner. He's literally in chains 
and locked away for preaching the good news. So he's writing this from his cell to this church in Ephesus. Now, I got to tell you this. When Paul was writing this letter, he didn't think to himself, listen, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to write this letter, and then one day they're going to break it up into like six bite-sized sections. And there'll be chapter one of my letter and chapter four of my letter and chapter six of my letter. Like, no, no, no. Like, it's going to be a letter, and he's just assuming that we're going to read the whole letter, right? Because what happens if we're not careful, we can read certain portions of it and, and, and say, oh, like, this is what it's about. And so we just read Ephesians 6, right? Putting on the full armor of God. And, and, and man, we do that. We love it. It's like, oh, man, this is good. I get up in the morning. I'm putting on the full armor of God. I got the sword of the Spirit. But if we're not careful, we begin to think that that's a singular action. Because after all, you know, he's writing this letter, and it's like, I'm going to do these things. And that's not what's happening. It's actually a letter written to the church. So the very nature of what we read is not singular, but plural in action. And as a matter of fact, the entire book, Paul addresses things in the plural where he's saying, listen, uh, I'm addressing husbands and wives, children and parents, Jews and Gentiles to the church as a whole. He goes on to talk about these gifts of apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and, and all of these things and this unity that we just read about in the body of Christ. And so my point is when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, it isn't this singular action of just we, uh, Lucas, I put on the armor of God. No, 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 it's we, the body, the church, we put on all of these things so that we could stand together. We pray, we wage war. It's this realization as Paul's writing this from a prison cell that he's not alone. We are together in this thing. Come on, brothers from other mothers, sisters from different misters, come on. We are in this together, unity, one body, one spirit, one glorious hope. But we don't always feel that way. I'm sure Paul didn't feel that way when he was alone in that cell writing this letter. And then we have these moments where I just feel all alone. I feel like I'm the only one doing this work. I feel like I'm the only one writing these letters. I feel like I'm the only one. No one quite gets me. There's some stories in the scripture. Um, there's one particular story, Elisha. He wakes up. And he has a servant with him, and his servant is stressing. Because, oh, we are surrounded on every side. They are about to attack us. They're going to get us. And, and uh, Elisha's over there like, what's the problem? I don't, I don't understand. No, no, did you not look? Look, see, they're all around it, horses and chariots, and they're going to kill us. And to which the prophet's like, he prays this prayer. God, open his eyes so that he could see. And God opens his eyes, and all of a sudden, the servant looks, and he sees all of the army of God surrounding. Oh, there's actually more of us than there are of them. And so he goes from this kind of stressed-out state of like, we're about to die, to, oh, God's got this. Why? His vision changed. Things seen and things unseen. There's this other time, uh, again, not Elijah, but Elijah, 
has just had this moment where he's on this mountaintop and he calls down fire and there's this prophets of Baal and all this amazing ministry happens. And then like five seconds later, he's on the run for his life and he's hiding in a cave and he starts whining to God. God, I'm all by myself. I'm the only prophet left. Uh, Everybody else is worshiping Baal. All your people are doing all these stupid things. I alone am standing strong for you. And to which God replies to him, oh yeah, by the way, go and tell the other 7,000 prophets that have not bowed their knee to Baal. And to which the Bible doesn't say this, but I believe Elijah was like, my bad. (laughs) Right? Time where he feels alone, feels like you're the only one. Am I the only one in this house that does the dishes? Am I the only one that cleans? Am I the only one that mows this grass, Adam? Come on. I'm all by myself. I'm doing all this work. Am I the only one that volunteers? Am I the only one who works? Am I the only one? Come on. You know where I'm going with all that. All of this happens, and there's this prayer of open their eyes. Paul reminding us, even from a prison cell, Oh, no, no, there's a plurality to this thing. It's not alone. We're part of this army. There's things going on, the seen and the unseen. And so it bears some questions because if this is the truth of us and we're part of a bigger picture, we're part of a whole of what God is doing, how should we then live? How should, how, how should, what do we do when we do feel alone? What do we do with these emotions where it does feel like we're the only one? It feels like we're the only one in the fight. What do I do when all I can see are the enemies all around me? What do I do when hope is a long ways off? What do I do? And then Ephesians 4, Paul gives us a few things. He starts off, or I shouldn't say starts off, but he continues on by saying, I, this prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, I beg you. Now, it's interesting because if it was me and I'm writing this letter, I would say, listen, I beg you, come break me out of here. Like, this is how you're going to do it. Here's the plan. There's no guards at 2 a.m. No, no, but he doesn't do that. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. To lead a life worthy of your calling. A prisoner in chains still preaching the good news. When we find ourselves in these places where we feel alone, where we feel secluded, where we feel like, God, maybe I might be a million miles from where I thought I was going to be, Paul reminds us, listen, you could still live worthy in wherever you're at. You could live, live worthy in that prison cell. You could live worthy when you feel like you're all alone and he's still preaching the gospel and he's still inviting others and he's saying, and I beg of you to live like this, live worthy, no matter where you're at. I've told this story a few times before, but I'll tell it again and again because just wait till I get a really, really old guy. You're gonna hear the same. Anyway, uh, there was this moment where I was in India and we were preaching the gospel and there was this one village, and, and things were going good, and, you know, I'm preaching the gospel, and, you know, Jesus, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they start throwing rocks at me. And, well, I say me. It was us. There was other people, too. Like, I wasn't the worst. But they, I, apparently I was, because I was, you know, throwing these rocks, and I'm dodging rocks. 
And like all of a sudden, like, no, we got to get out of here. They're like, you're going to hurt us. And so like this dude comes up with this little pickup truck and was like, actually it was a bigger, I'm sorry, it wasn't little, it was like this cow truck. And we're jumping in the back of the truck and we're spinning off into the sunset. And I'm like, this is just like a movie. I'm preaching, somebody throws a rock at me, and we jumped in the truck, and then we ran off. Like, this is amazing. This is like TV stuff. And then I remember having this feeling of just sheer disappointment. And the reason why I was disappointed is because nobody hit me with the rock. Because I remember thinking, like, God, if I would have gotten hit with the rock, I would have bled. And if I would have bled, I would have bled for the gospel. And that would have made a so much better story. I could preach this at the next place, and it'll be awesome. But like, why didn't these people have better aim? I remember having that moment. Keep that in your mind. Uh, there was a few years ago where we had this gentleman, we had a service, and we were here in this building, and they came up to me afterwards, and the gentleman, he was serving in the kids' ministry, and uh, he was serving in the kids' leader, I believe maybe Devin was there, and came up to me after service, and they just had these looks on their face like something went really wrong kids ministry. I'm like, uh-oh. Uh, and so they look and they begin to tell me, listen, um, this guy during kids ministry, uh, one of the kids bit him. And they're all looking at me and I remember smiling really big and saying, congratulations. You were persecuted for the gospel. God counted you worthy to bleed for the gospel. And he like perked up and was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, look at that. I bled right there. That kid bit me. I was like, and you're going to serve again next week, right? Come on, we still need you. You know, like, but that idea, like some, all of a switch, what switched all of the vision, the why we were bleeding, the purpose behind it, this feeling of, no, 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 it's for something more. And Paul's saying, listen, in whatever state you're in, whether you're in a prison cell or whether they're throwing rocks at you or whether you're getting bit in the arm, whether something's happening, no, no, you could walk worthy of your calling in any things and in all ways. The other day we were having dinner with a group of friends and we were just talking about the church and uh, getting creative or things that we could do when we get this new facility. And I've learned that sometimes I have these moments where I say things, but I don't recognize the impact of what I said until after I say it. Because sometimes my mouth works a little bit quicker than my brain, and that's why you've got to have grace if you're going to come to this church. Um, but we're there, and we're having dinner. And by the way, like, I've learned that really early on in ministry. And the lesson for me is I have never, ever once preached a sermon that I didn't need to hear. I don't prepare sermons to preach at you. I prepare sermons because I say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What are you wanting to do in your people? What are you wanting to do in my heart? What are you wanting to do in my life? What do you want to change about your body? What correction do I need to? So, so, I, so there's, there's this rhythm and flow to it, and we're having this dinner, and uh, I make this comment because uh, we're talking about what could happen, um, and I say something along the lines of this. I don't care about your abilities. I don't care about your talents. I don't even care what you want to do. I only want to know, are you called? I just want to know, are you called to do it? Did Jesus tell you to do this thing? Because if Jesus told you to do it, it doesn't matter about your abilities. It doesn't matter about your talents. It doesn't matter about your skill set. I just need to know, are you called? Because if you're called, 
what other choice do you have? What other option is there? See, we've been told in our lives for some of us growing up that you could be anything you want to be. No, you can't. You cannot. You could be what God has called you to be and to do. You have really no other choice as a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul goes this far to say, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. In other words, like, I have to do this. And it doesn't matter if I'm doing it from a prison cell or if everybody's, there's thousands of people gathered around listening to this sermon, people falling asleep out of windows. It doesn't matter. This is what God has called me to do. And so I just have this question I'm asking at the table. Are you called? If so, live worthy of your calling. Live worthy of the thing that God's called you to do. But what happens is, we start doing the thing maybe that God's called us to do, and then we get burned out, right? It's a big word today, being burned out or disillusioned, and then we start deconstructing, and next thing you know, we've gone way off the rails. And part of it is just like, well, I'm burned out because I was trying to do the thing that God called me to do, but it just made me absolutely miserable. And there's this realization that you could be called to do something, but you don't know how to do it. You may think you know how to do it, but you really don't know how to do it. You need the Holy Spirit to teach you how to do the thing that God's called you to do. Because if you start doing that thing that God's called you to do strictly in your flesh, you will get burned out. And you will absolutely, man, I can't stand the church. I can't stand this. I can't stand, I can't stand that. I volunteer. I can't. No, no. It's the thing God's called you to do, but you're just doing it in a really bad way. And I can only tell you that because that's my story in a lot of ways. I remember like getting to this point after about the first 10 years of the church and having this conversation with God, I was like, God, I know you've called me to do this, but the next 10 can't be like the last 10. And he said, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I really wish you would do it my way now. Okay, God, I repent. Teach me. Teach me how to do it your way. Teach me how to have pure joy, even if it's from a prison cell. Teach me how to walk worthy of this calling. Teach me how not to get burned out, how not to get disillusioned. Because here's the thing, we, we live in a society, in this culture that we structure things and we create a life that focuses on our ability rather than our call. And there's a big difference between having the ability to do something. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Like, I, I can surf. I will never be a professional surfer. Like, I love surfing. I remember... Young started surfing, and like, man, this is the greatest thing. And I realized early on, I'm not good enough. And so it was like, okay, but it doesn't matter. I'm just going to enjoy this thing. And then, but like, well, maybe I, could, maybe I could work in the surf industry. Maybe I'll open up my own surf shop one day. And then I started looking into that, and I realized surf shops uh, really don't care anything about surfing. Like, they don't, they don't make any of their money off of surfboards. Right? They make their money off of T-shirts. And I was like, man, I do not want to go sell T-shirts for a living. Like, that ain't going to happen. So why don't I just enjoy and just love surfing for the sheer fun of it? And I could go out there, and it doesn't matter how good I am. It doesn't, just enjoy it. Because matter of fact, God hasn't called me to this anyway. He's just something he allows me to do for the sheer enjoyment of it. And there's things like that in your life. There's things that, man, it's just the absolute sheer enjoyment and love. And here's the thing. Your calling works like that, too. It's like, no, no, no. Your most joy, your most fulfillment will be in walking in what God's called you to do in a manner in which he's called you to do it. 
Because that's a big difference. Not what he, just what he's called me to do, but in a manner in which he's called me to do it. Now here's where it gets really tough, because you're messed up. You don't know how to do it. You don't know how to run the ministry, Jill. I don't know how to run the church. You don't know how to do all those things that God's put all those visions and dreams on your heart. And you know you. And here's where it gets really interesting because it's a process and it's a being all at the same time. This walking worthy of your calling, it's a process in which you are becoming what you already are. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And yet it is. The kingdom come and it's here and it's now and you, you are holy and yet you're being made holy. You are saved and yet you're being saved. It's this process of becoming it is and it's on its way and all of this happening and learning how to move into the rhythms of grace with Jesus and walking worthy of our calling. And then Paul tells us how to do it. He says, listen, as I admonish you and you're serving the Lord and you're walking worthy of your calling, do this. Always be humble and be gentle and be patient. I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm like, fail. This is how you do it. Just be humble. Fail. This is how you do it. Just be patient. Fail. I mean, have you ever done that? Have you ever just like, I'm going to be patient. Like, I got all the willpower. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a really patient person. I'm not going to get irritated with my spouse. Fail. Fail. Family reunion. Fail. Brunswick County Permitting Department. Fail. Highway 17. All of these things. And you're just like, wait, hold on, Paul. I'm supposed to walk worthy of this calling and to always be humble and always be gentle in all this work that you're called to do. How am I supposed to do it? Remember, it's a process and a being because it's his work in you. And he who began a good work will see it through to the day of salvation. So in other words, the work wasn't initiated by you, so it can't be finished by you. It's the work that he started in you, and it's the work that he will do in you. And if we try to do in the flesh what God is doing in the spirit, it only leads to more disillusionment and more burnt out because it doesn't work. You just can't be patient. It is a fruit of the spirit. And so if it's a fruit of the spirit, the logical outwork, and this was actually on the verse of the day this morning with Mark Batterson. If it's a fruit of the spirit, Mark Batterson was saying, wouldn't it make sense that we need more of that spirit so we can produce more of that fruit? So he was like, oh, he just want the fruit without the spirit. No, 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 you don't get the fruit without the spirit. You can't be more patient. You can't be more kind and gentle and, gentle and humble and, and self-controlled. You need Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit working in you, and it's his work. This is how you are humble and gentle and patient with each other. And then he goes on to say this, to be united, make every effort, make every effort, every effort to keep ourselves united because there's this, there's this tendency to get disconnected. There's this, there's this pull to our own will in our own way. And so Paul says, listen, in this, as the Holy Spirit is working this process in you, do this. Make every effort to stay united. 
united, one body, one spirit, one glorious hope. Now, this is interesting. Because first, he, he, three different things. One, one body, the church. The tool that God is using to fulfill his will on this earth presently. His church, you and me. And there's this realization that God loves using broken stuff. He loves using these broken things. And it's interesting because he's talking about walking worthy of your calling and being humble and being patient. But the thing that he's calling us to, this unity that he's calling to us to, is the very thing that disqualifies us. Because I didn't have a patience problem until I got around you. Come on. You tested my patience. And Paul's saying, no, no, you're called and made every effort to be united with the very thing that if you're not careful, it seems like disqualifies me. Because I, be, I was patient when I had the road to myself. I was patient if you would just do things my way. And Paul said, no, every effort to stay united to this very thing, this bunch of people that will exercise your patience and get on your last nerves, make every effort to stay connected with those people. This doesn't seem like a good plan. Then he goes on. Not only one body, ah, but here's, here's how. One spirit, one spirit, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this trinity connected to each other, but also connected to God. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. You cannot disconnect the two. You cannot disconnect your love for humanity and your love for Jesus. We try to, we try to say, well, I just, I just love Jesus and then I, I put up with these people. No, no, no. God's saying, no, no. You wanna know how to fulfill all of these laws? Just love God and love others. But you can't do one without the other. You need these things working together. All generations, uh, all, all people working together, one spirit. You can't disconnect it. And then he says this. So, so we're making every effort to stay connected to the body, making every effort to stay connected to the spirit. And then he says this, with one glorious hope for the future. One hope. As a church, as a body, not individuals, as all of us together, we should have one glorious hope, not 17 glorious hopes. Oh, I have a vision for this, and I have a vision for that. And if that vision isn't connected to one glorious hope, it's disconnected. And God said, no, no, I'm trying to do something together. What is the glorious hope? What is the end of all things? The end being of all man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's the meaning of life, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And maybe you've heard that, but do you realize exactly what that means? To, to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Here, here's what you gotta understand about that. We are not created because God needed your glory. We were not created because God needed you to worship him. God does not need you to be any more God. God is God without you. My worshiping him doesn't make him any more worthy of worship. He is God without me. 
He, he, he was not created because somehow he, he needed us to glorify him and in doing so and in living this life and, and walking worthy and somehow that makes him more God. No, that's Greek mythology. That's Greek mythology that says Zeus and Apollos and like the gods feed off of the prayers of their people and this is how they stay gods. Like, no, 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 no. God does not need you. Me believing in God doesn't make him more God whether I believe in him or don't, whether I worship him or not. Now catch this. My faith doesn't make me more loved. How much I have of it or how little I have of it. It doesn't make me more loved. No, no, he is God and he is love and he chooses to love us. And while we were yet sinners and he brings us in to his love, his love. Jonathan Edwards says it like this in his book, A Dissertation Concerning the End for Which God Created the World. He says this, his argument, God creating us was not, not so that he could get some kind of cosmic love of joy and relationship. Why? Because this was already accomplished in the trinity of who he is. Did you catch that? The, the joy of the relationship, the joy of life, the joy of the glory was already accomplished in who he is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming together to glorify one another. It was to share it, to share this glory with, with, with the world, this, this understanding of this is what I want to do. So when we say that the end being of all man is to glorify God, we join in in whom he already is. He's already glorious. And I simply, God, you are glorious. God, I, I, you are already love. And so I, I join in with your work. It's already, and we partake in this communion of glory and unity in the very nature of God. Now, I know I went straight up like college professor on you right there. But you have to understand that. That this glory that he has was already self-fulfilled within himself. And we come into that glory and who he is. Augustine says it like this. Our ability to love others is a reflection of the internal Trinitarian love that we were created to reflect. Let me read that one more time because it's so good. Our, even our ability... To love someone else, to love others, which, by the way, is, that's the very definition of ministry. To love someone else, to love that person on your job site, to love your spouse, to love that neighbor that's getting on your nerves. That this ministry that God's called us to is a direct reflection of the internal Trinitarian Father, Son, Holy Spirit love that we were created to reflect. In other words, we reflect what was already there. It was already present in him and we reflect it to the world. We are, and yet we're becoming. He is worthy of everything. So we live worthy of my calling, joining in with what God has been already doing since the beginning of the beginning. <laughs> and I can only love, why? Because he first loved us. Because it's who he is. There's no jealousy in the Trinity. There's just this pure,
pure love of understanding of the Father glorifying the Son, the Son glorifying the Father, the Holy Spirit glorifying all of it. And God's saying that love is what I'm calling you to reflect. So when you join together as one body of church, of messed up individuals and people, together with me, of one Father, one Holy Spirit, one Son, all together, you, these people together, it reflects this image of who I already am. And this is the end being to which you were created. This is how you walk worthy of your calling, the Holy Spirit. It says this in Colossians 1, for by him all things were created and are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist created to reflect the very nature of the triune God in all things he is working. As Chris so beautifully read from us from the Psalms this morning, if I send up to the heavens, you are there. If I send down to the depths, you are there. If I write this letter from a prison cell, you are there. If I'm having the best day of my life, you are there. See, here's the reality of it. I don't need just salvation on my worst day I also need salvation on my best day. I need salvation when everything is going right. I need salvation especially when everything is going right because I have this tendency to think that it might be my righteousness that's doing it and it ain't my righteousness because my righteousness is like filthy rags. And so Jesus, I need you to save me, not just on the worst sin of sin that I've committed, but on my best days when I think I'm nailing it. Jesus, I need you. And so if I descend, to the top of this mountain, you are there. If I descend to the lowest of lows, you are there. And I will walk worthy of my calling, always being humble, always being gentle, always having self-control. How am I gonna do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work inside of me and inside of you, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, stand with me to your feet. He is glorious and he is worthy of all of our praise. And just as Paul said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe to me, woe to you if you do not do the thing that God has called you to do. I don't care about your abilities. I don't care about your talents. I don't even care about what you want. All of that, a second, third, fourth, 17th, that has God called me. Because I'm telling you, it might scare you to death, but I'm telling you, once you start doing it, you will find no greater joy. You will find, oh, I'm now joining in with this one glorious hope. And if you find yourself getting burned out, maybe God's just saying, hey, pause. Maybe it's time. It's not just the thing you're doing it, but it's how you're doing it. Why don't you try doing it my way? Because the way I work is through the Spirit to produce in you and through you because I'm working in all things. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, as we, even now, we join together in this, word, in this room and 
you've opened your word and just kind of armored up with shields and belts and salvation and breastplates, Lord, all of this. As we learn that we're not alone. We're part of one body. We're not at war with that body. Our Baptist brothers and Presbyterian brothers and Charismatic brothers and Catholic brothers and brothers from Asia and Africa and Australia and India and our sisters all around the world and we join in together as one glorious voice glorifying you and your name and your holiness because you are worthy Help us to walk worthy of that call to be united with our brothers, to be united with your body, to be focused on one glorious hope, which is in you, Christ Jesus. The end of all being and all men, into which you live and breathe and move and into which we have our very being. So Holy Spirit, come. For those of us that have been doing it our own way, we repent. We turn back to you, Jesus. We welcome and we pray for and we ask for your conviction in our heart, in our mind. Our conviction that doesn't leave us feeling ashamed, but a conviction that leaves us empowered to be like you to know that you're at work in us and you're doing the work and we don't have to do it with the own strength of our own hands. So God, we turn to you and we say, do your work, Holy Spirit, in us. And for maybe somebody in the room that you don't know him, may today be the day of your salvation. May today be the day that you surrender all to Jesus. Because he's saying, my son, my daughter, <laughs> I love you. And I have called you to one glorious hope. And it is glorious. And if you ask and you seek and you knock and if you look, you'll find me. I'm right here and I'm knocking at the door of your heart. If that's you with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand real high in the air. And I just want to lead you in a prayer of surrender to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask everyone in the room to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I am yours. You are mine. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do a work, Lord. Save me. Save me from myself. Jesus, I need you. I repent, and I'm yours. Amen and amen. Come on, guys. We have somebody in the room who gave their life to Jesus from death to life. And right now, we join in with the angels, come on, that are celebrating in heaven. Come on, because he is worthy. He is glorious. Let's take a few minutes. Let's worship. Let's worship. 
Well, we hope this podcast has blessed you. In case you didn't know, we are in the middle of renovating a brand new facility right here in Brunswick County, North Carolina. So listen, two things. Please take a moment and pray for us. Also, if you'd like to give to the ministry, sign on to the website at mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. Hey, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Grace and peace.